welcome back to another episode of Chaos on the Set. Today we have your three usual hosts. I'm Mike. I'm Shruti. I'm Kate. And today we are discussing the first summer blockbuster, Steven Spielberg's infamous Jaws. And I do want to note we are recording on the 4th of July. And in my opinion, Jaws is essential 4th of July viewing material. And I know this was both your first times watching the film. So I guess just to kick it off, what did you both think? Because I love this movie. It is. Listen, I got home. I went to a friend's house to watch the movie. And I got home and I turned to my roommates and I went, y'all, Jaws? Surprisingly good movie. And they were like, yeah, Shruti, you fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an iconic movie. But like so many times when you like go back, especially when it's a movie that is so like special effects dependent and it's decades old you don't really expect to like it Mm -hmm. and i was expecting to be a little bored and a little underwhelmed and while there were still some parts mainly in the first hour of the movie when they're like still on the beach and like fighting over what to do i i did kind of get a little bored i was still very surprised by how captured and invested i was in Mm -hmm. you know the whole thing kate (laughs) (laughs) i did not like it (laughs) I, but boo. you have to understand I'm coming from Did you say moo or boo? boo. Like he mooed at me He's like you f- cow No I'm just kidding okay. I was like that was a little rude like, You can boo her Don't moo her Damn Michael I see um, I just I mean I guess it's important To premise this with like The fact that I don't like gore I don't like horror movies I don't like scary movies And I just didn't like a movie about sharks eating people. It just, <laughs> I, I can't like diss though the characters in this movie. Some of the characters were pretty fun. And like the three guys on the boat bantering each other, especially was when I liked the movie the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did it feel like a thriller to you? It It's still very grounded. I feel like in character. Um, I mean, I just was getting taken out of it. Cause like one minute I was like vibing for the characters and then like, doo-doo, doo-doo, yeah. doo-doo, and then a shark, and then people are screaming, oh, everyone, run away from the beach, oh, my God. Then the mayor was stupid and was like, no, don't close the beaches, and they just kept happening. Yeah. It was like... Uh... I mean, I think it is an interesting argument. You could probably make the case of Jaws fitting into several different genres, right? Whether it is yeah. thriller or horror or disaster movie. Yeah. It's all three, and you know what? I hate all three of those things. Yeah. Well, but I like you know you know what I'd rather watch. I'd rather watch a bear trying to escape from prison. <laughs> That's also uh, quite yes. thrilling. Okay, well, but... if you in in a certain lens, you could think of this as Jaws trying to escape the prison of being hunted, or vice versa, the people trying to to avoid um, Jaws and, and being in his prison. I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, but in the end, people lose legs, limbs, and then the shark gets his head blown up. So, like, who really wins in the end? I mean, Hooper is quite literally in a metal cage in the ocean. I mean, that <laughs> and is, he escapes I mean, that prison. prison and you didn't enjoy watching that prison escape. He does. And he also could be referred to as a bear. So, oh my god, you guys there are you go. too much. On a more serious note, though, what I find so particularly fascinating about Jaws is the different levels of which it has sort of embedded itself in our culture and and how iconic it has become right because like we said earlier it is the very first summer blockbuster if you will but beyond that right it 
practically launched Steven Spielberg's entire career, as well as John Williams as a composer. Mm-hmm. Um, it has completely shifted the um, the common consciousness of fear of sharks. I mean, it's like well documented that people, um, you know, their fear grew. Shark sightings went up immediately following Jaws. Conservation groups have listed it as a reason why sharks are endangered. Um, sadly, well, it's, it's one of the less uh, po- uh, positive cultural significant moments of this film. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, Kate. What were you saying? It's. I was going to say it's funny that you bring that up because when I was watching this movie, I watched it with my dad who is a huge, huge fan of this film. And I think it's mostly because when he was a kid – in the 70s, summer of 74, he went to Marfa's Vineyard when they were filming Jaws. And he saw, like, Bruce the Mechanical Shark. And, you know, he thought it was really okay, cool. Okay, and, so. and why That's, isn't but, your dad on this podcast right now? Yeah, get your dad in I here right now. I told him to. I told him to, and he was like, ah. So, do you want me to go downstairs and mic him up right now? Yes. We should specify Bruce the Mechanical Shark was named after Steven Spielberg's lawyer. A little fun oh, well, Easter egg there. Is that an Easter egg? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but so it's funny though that you mentioned like fear of sharks because they, my parents were talking about it and as two people who grew up in Massachusetts, grew up around the Cape, they said that like tourism in the 70s at the Cape like went way down after this movie came out um, because people were scared of sharks and this – so the beaches did suffer ultimately. <laughs> yeah, and this movie's they then mentioned Cape Cod several times in this film. So uh, they said, yeah, like I remember people just weren't going to the beaches for a little bit. Who do y'all think is the true villain of the movie? Is it Bruce the shark, or is it the mayor of the town for refusing to close the beaches and protect the people? For me, it's definitely the mayor, and that's what I find. Again. Jaws working on multiple layers. Yeah, great, fun. Well, I described it as fun. Maybe not Kate, but fun, like disaster, thriller, horror film about this man-eating shark. But the complexity of that issue in the mayor refusing to close down the beaches, um, that's what I find really particularly interesting and accurate and timeless because I think you can relate it back. You know, we're now... Um, more than 45 years Mm -hmm. after Jaws has been released. And you could draw parallels, I think, to modern times in in terms of how, um, you know, politicians deal with public health. So I do think it's the mayor. um, But on on the opposite side of the spectrum with, with Bruce, the shark, it's interesting because the shark almost has this level of consciousness, right? It's not just a shark that's going around attacking people. It's like he is specifically mm-hmm. hunting after them, and he knows who he's going after. He knows he's going after the orca fishing boat and these three men. Um, and so that sort of does elevate the, the shark as a villain at the same time, having this level of consciousness. I, I've read a lot of analysis about Jaws and about how the shark in Jaws kind of represents just like pure evil that can't be like 
reasoned with. There's this one quote by, his name is Peter Bizkind, who said that Jaws does not pit heroes against authority figures, but against a menace that targets everyone regardless of socioeconomic position. So it's basically like this one evil that threatens us all, like regardless of who and where you are in life. But why does that have to be a shark? Like sharks are actually evil. Like they just think that the splashing in the water are seals and we as humans maybe shouldn't be that far out in the water because that's their home not ours also i don't think the real villain is either the mayor or the shark it's global warming and that's why sharks are migrating closer to our shores because that's where i don't know i didn't actually study this so maybe i'm talking out of my ass but global warming (laughs) It's bad. And not to make Kate look bad, but I was listening to an interview with a marine biologist about Uh (laughs) um, her experience with a shark uh, where, like, basically she was talking about how, like, humans are very attracted to things that uh, look familiar to them. So when a shark, like, circles around to see you, it's like when a human sees you and circles around to see you. Um, And she was basically stuck in some ocean environment simulation where she was being, like, a, sur- a shark circled around and saw her but the shark kind of just like let her hang for a while and she said something super interesting to me which was that like she realized in that moment that like this is the shark's home and has been for like billions of years you know what i mean like the sharks have existed and not really mutated for very long and so in that sense she was just like this random visitor in this shark's world and it does make sense why if humans are in this area where they never really see humans sharks are going to act antagonistically and attack that's another part i love about the film is the introduction of hooper's character right the oceanographer and he's providing like all this scientific background fighting against the mayor but also like chief brody reading up on it himself and he goes on that whole rant about how sharks have been here evolving for millions of years um so I, I love how they, they introduced that into the film as well. But to go back to your earlier point about Jaws representing like this um, this pure evil that doesn't, you know, draw distinctions between any of its targets, I think the one scene that comes to mind that really encapsulates that is when the mayor finally realizes that he fucked up and mm-hmm. he's like, my kids were my kids were in that water too, you know. Um, and something that's left sort of out of the movie, but apparently is a key point in the book, is that the mayor the mafia. is having mob <laughs> troubles. Yeah, the mob is like holding the town what? hostage practically. Yeah, he, they are. Wait, when was this? It's, it's not in yes. the movie. It's just in the book. It's in the book. Oh, in the book. But there's a I was like, what did I there's miss? a fan theory that the that the shark has been like ge- genetically modified by the mafia, by the mob, by the mob to terrorize this town and force the mayor's hand. Well, in um, the in the book, it's like the mafia is telling the mayor that he can't close the beach because the mafia has interest mm-hmm. in the beach staying open, which I think makes sense in a book where you have more space to kind of add complexity to the town and layers. But yeah. in the movie, I'm glad it's kind of just way more straightforward and not bogged down yeah. by all that plot. Because it's it's you know at the end of the day, it's man versus nature not man versus nature versus mob (laughs) isn't the mob also man technically well it's also a bit of nature another big change between the book and the movie is that in the book 
Hooper is having an affair with Brody's wife. What? It's causing a lot more tension between Brody and Hooper, which uh, Spielberg decided to take that off so they wouldn't be as like at each other's throats in the movie. They do have that one weird dinner scene, though, with the wine. The, well, yeah. There's like a weird but, vibe going on there as well with the wife. I can't believe Hooper just like comes from like somewhere in Cape Cod to this island and goes, hey, I'm going to help you with your shark problem, chief of police. Also, I'm going to bang your wife while I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dude is he? <laughs> no, I don't think it's like, well, there's also like the wife's, uh, like the wife used to date his older brothers. The wife has some relationship with Hooper's I'm, past. I'm glad they took that all out. And so because of that, there's like a story where like she's trying to embrace her past by having an affair with him. Again, things that would work in a book, but don't necessarily have time I'm so, for in the movie. So glad that's not in the film. Oh my god. But I think in the book also Hooper dies because of that because he's a little bit less of a, uh, you know, a man to root for. And he was actually supposed to die in the movie as well. The only reason that he doesn't die is because if you see that sequence underwater when, like, Richard Dreyfus is in the cage and the shark is coming at him, they were able to get footage of a real shark in that in those waters, but the footage of that shark also includes a very empty cage, and they wanted to use the footage of the real shark. So in order to do that, if there's an empty cage, Hooper couldn't have died, so they added a sequence where Hooper mm-hmm. is able to escape. And... He survives the story, and if it weren't for that real shark footage... I kind of thought he was going to die the whole time I was watching it. I was like, yeah, the police guy is going to be the only one who makes it out, but then I was surprised. It's a great scene, though, at the end when like he, he finds the big end after they did defeat the shark. I do love that part. It's weird that he's just like, Clint, and uh, Brody just goes, no, and that's the end of that thing. And they yeah. go, no, and, and then no they go, further explanation needed. I just thought it was, I, I didn't like the ending. Yeah, they were literally like, oh, is he alive? No. Oh, think we can row to shore in this? Yeah, let's go. And then it's just like, fade to black. I'm like, what? Yeah, but it was just like they, you know, they were on this mission, just the three of them, you know, and I don't know, it's over. Yeah, I, I get like it. it. I understand, and I'm, like, happy the movie was over. It's not like I need a longer movie. But because we spend so much time on land and on the beach, I was kind of like, oh, we're not going to see him, like, yeah. reunite with his kids and his wife who are, like, I know. so, un- like, the tell tell him I've gone fishing line is such a great line, but then you have no reunion. Yeah. It's a little weird. Who? No, you, you can't have Hooper reunite with Brody's family. He'll bang his wife. <laughs> But I think that's what I like about the ending is because Jaws being this, you know, humongous shark that is sort of unbelievable, right? It's like the three men went on this by themselves and only they know their experience and they did it together. And I feel like it's like mythical. It almost becomes like an old tale like that Quint told when he was on the boat about being in war and and their ship sinking and and being attacked by sharks. Like to me that it's like an old fisherman's tale that only the two of them experienced and know the reality. And it's like, if they went back and and told everybody the story, you know, people wouldn't even believe, I think half of half of what they went through, you know, that's why I like, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, yeah, like we see each other. We know what just happened. We lived it together. And now, now it's over. 
I actually, I do really like that read of it. Yeah, I've come around on it. Perfect ending. <laughs> okay. I oh, I'm sorry. I have a less stellar take. You know, like what's good for, you know, what's like good for Brody. I just thought of it. They don't have to pay Quint ten thousand dollars because he died. <laughs> <laughs> which is such, which is such a weird point in the film. Oh, when he scratches the chalkboard <laughs> and he's like. He's like, $10,000. I just love how the mayor was like, I'm not going to pay him $10,000. It's like, well, now you don't have to anymore. <laughs> the mayor was behind it the whole time. I, You wow. know what? You know what killed Quint? The mob. <laughs> well, on that note of Clint dying, I think it's really... Quint. Quint, sorry. <laughs> even remember his name the poor guy he's in the grave and you can't even get his name right who's gonna retake him but now i really like <laughs> okay on the note of quint dying i think it's the his character introduction right he's a little bit of a villain like first of all if your character introduction is like clawing on a chalkboard nobody's gonna like you and he's like a little bit of a dick throughout their whole journey out at sea but like he's never a total villain like i was thinking a lot about the disaster movies that have come since jaws specifically like every single jurassic park and jurassic world movie where like in the beginning of the movie you meet somebody that's just like so villainous and despicable to the point where you like can't wait to get them to get to see them eaten apart by a dinosaur and it usually delivers but like now it's just like the trope of like the villain evil guy is gonna die and so going into this movie i was like oh he's unlikable he's probably gonna die but i don't know what do y'all think about like how this movie chose which characters survived the shark attack and which ones yeah well i mean up until that point right all of the victims are very innocent right whether it's uh the the young- well i don't know the first woman that dies is naked and is this movie trying to oh, okay show some kind of message against you know going out and being your full <laughs> self and what about the I, little I just, kid the little kid i have nothing okay <laughs> yeah well it's interesting to think of that trope right because Maybe we would be viewing it differently had Hooper actually died, like originally mm-hmm. planned. Um, but I do agree. I don't think I don't think Quint is um, like an absolute villain. Although there is a theory, which I don't know if you read it, and maybe it'll change your mind on his death. But there is a theory that he was actually Quint himself was the one uh, that killed the fisherman and planted the shark tooth in in the boat you know when hooper goes diving underwater and the body sort of pops out and scares him shitless um there's a fan theory that essentially that quint was the guy who killed the fisherman um because he was like a rival in the town because it's like a you know there's there's fishermen in the town that are all competing in that he like blamed it on the shark because he knew he could he could get away with it and then he could go on to claim his ten thousand dollars. So maybe he is more villainous than which he we didn't. Give him credit for. But he knows that the shark does exist. So I feel like that's. I mean, unless his ego is yeah, so, so big that he no, so he killed him so that he could that, so he could blame it on the shark. Oh, and get knowing the $10, that there were recent attacks. I- I, I think that's a bogus fan theory. I just don't think he's that much of a villain. And also, like, 
They did a very deliberate shot on that fisherman going out to sea as they were all posing with the other shark they thought was the actual shark that was doing all the killing. And they show this fisherman going by and smiling at them going, oh, nice, they found it. <laughs> and then he happens to just... I mean, know. he was... Imp- it's not <laughs> so. like his body was absolutely torn to threads like some of these other victims. His head was dismembered from his body. It was still in all one piece. I thought it was just his head. What do y'all think of that imagery of like, just like, basically what looks like red food coloring in water of just, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, you just start seeing globs of red in the yeah. ocean. I think the one time, like, it really is visceral is when the young kid gets eaten and is like. Because the kid is wearing red shorts. Yeah, well, not only and that, so but like you- his floaty is like torn to shreds like floating in all of the red water i i believe i watched the scene in one of my like directing classes at syracuse where like our professor made us pay attention to like tracking the shot of the young kid in his red shorts walk onto the beach and then walk back out and you have all of those fake outs you know like uh while we're waiting and fearing a shark attack there's like a woman screaming but she's just being like tickled by her boyfriend or partner or whatever and then there's like he thinks he sees a fin, but it's actually just like scuba gear or something. Those fake outs for the time, I feel like were probably very, you know, fun and scary for the people mm-hmm. viewing it. But I don't know, like watching that movie now, like, you know that you are being faked out. Maybe it's just because the past decades of movie watching has trained us to see thriller aspects in a certain way. But I don't know. What do y'all think? Kate's thrilled. <laughs> I just knew the second I saw the kid that he was going to die because he's a child. And I'm like, well, yeah, they're going to kill a kid off to make the stakes higher. So the minute he went out on his little floaty, I was like, yeah, he's dead. And I think that's another thing that makes Jaw so interesting is that even when, even if you see it coming from like a mile away and it doesn't, nothing surprises you or shocks you, um, it's still so thrilling and entertaining i just think the way that that spielberg crafted it and the way that they were um able to to make jaws you know like look pretty realistic for the time and you know place this film sort of in reality because it's like you know it's coming a mile away and it still freaks you out you know certainly kate um i know i think of like the the first scene where the girl is just being like jostled through the water you know like the second she goes in you know she's a goner like it's over for her like the second she goes swimming and the dude can't take off his shirt or whatever he's struggling with on the beach um and even as it you know at some points it might even seem like kind of goofy like how over the top it is she's being like jostled back and forth but it's like right from the get-go they establish how brutal and menacing the shark is. Follow-up question. I don't know if any of that made sense. No, no, it does. But my follow-up to that is like, there are very famous or infamous stories about set when they were shooting Jaws and how it was a nightmare. The filming Mm -hmm. was supposed to be 55 days. It went three days longer than that. The main issue being the mechanical shark Bruce malfunctioning and not really working. And because of that, most of the movie is shot with like the uh what's the word like the idea that the shark is there but not actually Mm -hmm. seeing the shark and you're like seeing the effects of the shark yeah and spielberg says like 
and many other critics have said like it made for the best movie because it's the whole Alfred Hitchcock suspense over surprise and you're held in suspense for so long that when you finally see the shark at the end it's so much more believable yes I think I agree with all of that like it is I think a remarkable movie and I'm still super super tense every time we're not seeing the shark but no it's there but again if this movie like it feels so much of its time that if this movie came out today and you pulled the same gimmick of not seeing the shark until the end, people would be bored, right? Yeah, in terms of in terms of modern filmmaking, yes, I feel like people now are sort of accustomed to seeing the craziest sort of outcomes on screen. Um, so yeah, you you probably would need to show a lot more, and maybe that's why these sort of films have become really cheesy and and corny because you aren't able to establish that same level of suspense, right? Like every shark-related movie I can think of in recent times just seems ridiculous, right? The Meg, Mm -hmm. uh, which is just (laughs) like if Jaws was a Megalodon. Um, Sharknado. Sharknado. Yeah, Sharknado. (laughs) I know you saw, Strucci, you saw The Shallows, right? I did. I did. I didn't see I, it. I just. Okay, you saw it. I, I, I listened to a review of The Shallows on a podcast that said, well, so the person who had seen it had watched it on a plane, and she said that she really enjoyed that experience because it was just like, the screen was right in front of her, and so like, The Shallows, which is basically Blake Lively in the shallows of the ocean, and it's literally just her for like, trying the whole to survive, movie being circled yeah. by sharks. And I heard that it wasn't bad. Like, I heard that it was still pretty engaging. It could have been shorter, but it was still quite thrilling. I, I feel like, Kate, okay, okay. I do want to hear no, Kate's No, you don't want to hear my should... take. I just don't like shark movies. You don't, Like, they, my friends in high school tricked me into going to it. I didn't know that it was a shark movie until we were in the theater. And I said, what's this movie about? And then my friend turned to me and said, Wait, what did you think it was about? It was called The Shallows. Lady Gaga. <laughs> I don't fucking know. But then, like, she turns to me and she goes, it's about Blake It's about Blake Lively getting attacked by a shark. And I went, oh, God. The other thing, though, right, is this film doesn't work the same without the John Williams score. Like, I think that's also what makes it so much more thrilling yeah. and suspenseful because it captures that feeling through sound. So you could hear the you could hear the score now, totally out of context. Not even watching the film, and I think you'd still kind of, or at least I would get goosebumps just hearing it. You know, I they they one time used it in an episode of SpongeBob, and it like freaked me out <laughs> when I was little. I didn't know where it was from. <laughs> That's interesting. You didn't know where it was from, and it still scared you. Yeah, but I mean, it is scary. I, I get it. Okay, so I want to pivot the conversation now to one of our tried and true categories we don't always pull it out every episode but it is a fun one with a film like this and that is best scene your favorite scene in the film this is the one that even if you're re-watching it or just tuning in for parts of the film this is one you can't skip yeah you turn you change the channel on cable and it's on and you are not changing that channel even if you really have to pee i don't know for me it's the three guys, Brody, Hooper, and Quint. They're on the Orca. They're out at sea trying trying to find Jaws. And it's that very first interaction where Brody sees Jaws for the first time. Right, He's, he's throwing the chum in the water. He turns around, and there's Jaws coming out of the water. And he says, you know, you're going to need a bigger boat. 
Um, and that is that is the iconic line. But what I really love about that scene is the look on Roy Scheider's face, the realization of what they just got themselves into. For me, that is the best scene in the film, even if it is the most iconic one. And I believe that line was ad-libbed, the you're going to need a bigger boat. Um, But I haven't fact-checked that. (laughs) The thing I thought was funny that after he was like, I think we're going to need a bigger boat, he then mentions it like five more times when they're just going about their boat stuff. And he's like, yeah, so should we like call the Coast Guard and like get a bigger boat? And they're like, shut up. (laughs) Um. Side note, I just think it's really funny, Mike, how you keep referring to the shark as Jaws. Yeah, <laughs> I just... His name is Bruce. Okay, in for, not in the movie, his name yeah, wasn't but Bruce. It's all, it was, but his name is also not Jaws in the movie. Okay, but I like to call him Jaws. <laughs> I just refer um, to him as Jaws. My favorite scene, which was... So I texted my friend because I had to watch Jaws, and I was like, hey, do you want to watch this movie with me? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, okay, I've never seen it. And he was like, what the hell? You've never seen Jaws? And I'm like, I know, okay. I have a big uh, blind spot when it comes to classic movies, especially Spielberg movies. Uh, but he was like, oh, man, like, you don't know the USS Indianapolis scene? Like, iconic scene. That's a good one, too. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But when we got to that part of the movie... So 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out. The sharks took the rest June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. You really, like, just feel a still silence when he ends it with just, we delivered the bomb. What I really like about it is that it wasn't in the original script, and obviously it's not in the original book. It was added later uh, by a playwright named Howard Sackler who told Spielberg that you need to have like a critical reason in this movie on why Quint hates sharks so much. He said, you must explain why this man has a biblical vengeance against sharks. And Spielberg said that his suggestion to include this scene uh, became a Rosetta Stone for Quint's entire character, which again, I really like because if you didn't have this scene, you would just be like, oh, this man just like hates sharks for some reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you'd just be like watching the movie and you wouldn't have that layered character backstory of knowing, oh no, this man was literally tormented and has major PTSD from sharks. And you can like really see why he's made this his own life's journey. That's so tragic then that his life ends by literally getting chewed apart by a shark. I would, I would argue poetic. Poetically awful. I will say people that experienced and survived that USS Indianapolis uh, bomb delivery sequence when they finally watched it in the movie. There was one account that said, it was rock when I heard it in the movie for the first time. I'll tell you, it disheveled me a bit. Here was a man telling my story to the world. We owe a great deal to Robert Shaw. I never met him, but as a member of the crew of the Indianapolis, I can honestly say we owe a great indebtedness to him. Yeah, that's we a owe word a great indebtedness to him. Mm-hmm. So I guess the people who you know experience that atrocity still think that its usage was um, appropriate. I guess I I think it is interesting that literally like nobody really knew about like after I didn't until I saw this movie. But even at the time, like when the movie came out, it popularized that story. Like nobody really knew what had happened. And that's something so powerful about filmmaking that I really love is. You, you know, like using historical events and bringing it up in films that can like suddenly shed light I, or even not even just historical events, literally anything that can get popularized in like TV or film. Like 
freaking running up that hill by Kate Bush. <laughs> like, how amazing is that? <laughs> Kate is teasing next week's episode. <laughs> um, the scene especially is, I think, is one of the, my favorite pieces of trivia that I learned while researching this scene was that uh, Robert Shaw, who is kind of a noted alcoholic, was plastered when he originally took the scene to the point where he was like slurring his words and like couldn't get it out and then he like called Steven Spielberg at 3 a.m. the next day being like how much did I humiliate myself and Steven Spielberg said not fatally but he agreed to let him redo it the next day and they took it while he was sober and then the final edit is mixes of both the sober Shaw and the drunk Shaw delivering the dialogue and you can tell which one is which based on how his eyes look if you want to see which shots were taken from where quick quick sidebar just on the quint character that i guess i didn't think about too much until now but what do you make of the scene where um brody is trying to call for help and quint just loses it and like destroys the radio with a baseball bat well it it pans to your theory about him being like in cahoots with the shark or something. Yeah. No, I just think I just think he's so he's so obsessed with shark hunting and he got so obsessed with this shark that he was like, No, like I'm gonna be the one to kill it. Like, we're not calling the damn Coast Guard. Yeah. And, um, jokes on him. He ended up, you know, not getting his ten thousand dollars because of yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean it's, so it's like is it is it that like is that his motive or is it like perpetuating him as like this crazy crotchety sailor who you know he's like telling war stories and like maybe he's lost his mind a bit and that's like in the end like he was meant to go down with the shark you know mm. I don't know it's just it's it's interesting um, his motive that's behind fu- that's funny that yeah that's funny you call him crazy because literally when we were watching it and he smashed radio i was like dad why did he do that and he went i don't know he's just crazy (laughs) (laughs) it is like i mean it's for the sake of the plot also because it needs to be just them but it it doesn't really make i mean unless he's just like so triggered by this event that he's like yeah calling for help won't do anything because it's like yeah sorry it's he's like rooting for his own downfall almost to be honest because i feel like he continues to from that point out he gets crazier and crazier and crazier and is like almost willing to sacrifice all three of them and and die with the beast i guess it sort of relates back to that man versus nature aspect as well when he keeps saying she can't stay down not with three barrels on (laughs) her she can (laughs) i could not take the barrels seriously like every time the barrels like popped up again i was just like laughing my i actually ass really off. like the barrels i, I like thought the they were a great device to like uh, again see the shark without seeing the shark yes. i just thought yeah, it was so suspense. funny when the barrels start going right at the ship it's like oh fuck <laughs> wait oh should... <laughs> when sh- another sorry <laughs> i was gonna say when the shark started ramming the boat <laughs> Why are I you was laughing? I was laughing so oh. hard. I was like, I love it. What? It shows the it's shark's scary. consciousness. The shark, <laughs> is, they are hunt. The shark is no longer the hunted. He is the hunter. But a shark's too dumb to ram a bull. No, he's he's a conscious shark. It's I will he's say the supervillain. According to the marine biologist interview I listened to, most sharks aren't very smart. They haven't evolved that much to. Um, 
like be, no it's that's not the thing Bruce. i've heard i've heard that sharks sharks are not smart and they're also relatively nice the only time they attack humans is they think it's a seal also you know what animal i heard is way more mean than sharks dolphins dolphins, dolphins. so when dolphins are they gonna are make dicks. they need to make like why does like why do dolphins get like you want to make these... a fins 2022 no, but I'm, I'm just saying like i don't like the public assumption that like sharks are evil and dolphins are nice i've literally read articles about dolphins that will like try to drown and kill people well, yeah and they they're like sport. they're bullies and then and then you get a movie about oh like bruce was just confused like give him a break <laughs> but then you- like they should no they should make a move like why do dolphins get movies of like i'm a dolphin and i bonded with this like with this like handicap boy <laughs> And like, <laughs> what movie is that? Oh, it's a movie. <laughs> I promise. Okay, but the thing is, you are not the audience for these shark being villains movie, and you yeah. kind of are the audience for these feel good dolphin movies. So I think dolphin tail, start... <laughs> dolphin tail, dolphin tail. Oh my god, dolphin tail. That's actually a perfect pun of a title. Dolphin tail is literally a movie about a handicapped dolphin who bonds with a handicapped boy. But in real life, that dolphin would have tried to drown the handicapped. Oh like. my god! Also, did you did you hear Shakes or oh my god? Did you hear Kate's Boston accent come out when she said "sha"? <laughs> I did not, but I listened back to it when I edited the podcast. I'm the Cape Cod expert. Do you guys want to ask me any questions about? Yeah, by what Cape percentage Cod? of profit did Cape Cod pro- uh, decrease in uh, 1970s? I don't know how much they decreased. My I'm only source is my own mother. Um, <laughs> and she said that she thought tourism went down in the 70s. And also, um, you'll never see, like, you won't see a lot of, like, Jaws merchandise at the at Martha's Vineyard, at least. Like, they don't really try to advertise that they were, like, the filming location of Jaws. <laughs> I will say, last time I was in Cape Cod, it was a couple of summers ago, right around this time of year, and I was so annoyed, I I missed it by like a day or two. One of the drive-in theaters there was doing a double feature of Jaws and Jaws 2, um, which I thought would have been really cool to see like in that location specifically. Um, But also, I don't know, have either of you ever heard of or seen pictures of the Jaws viewings where people watch it in the water. No, my God. That is yes, so they literally stupid. they like put the screen on the beach and then like they people like sit in the water on floaties and That watch. doesn't sound comfortable. No, but I, it's supposed to like be the experience. I would I think I would do it. It would be scary as fuck, but I think I would do it. If I was there, if I was just like next to someone, I would have like tried to grab their leg and see if they scream. <laughs> You're evil. Have y'all seen Jaws 2 or Jaws 3D or Jaws 4? No, I I've seen I Jaws assume, 2. I assume they probably shouldn't exist, am I right? Uh, probably I, yeah mike can you confirm that the mayor is indeed reelected in jaws 2 uh it's been a while since i've seen it but yes i believe so <laughs> hold on i'm pulling up my letterbox review <laughs> i mean who who in their right mind would be like let's have a movie night you know what i want to watch jaws 2 no <laughs> what's interesting to me is like the jurassic park sequels are also not good you know yeah 
yeah, they're not very well respected. But Universal is still mining out the Jurassic World IP. Like, yeah. why do y'all think? Is it just because, as we discussed, other shark movies have failed that Universal hasn't tried to use Jaw? Like, in this day and age, with literally Buzz Lightyear IP is being tried to profit off of, like, why is Jaws nothing ever since Jaws four? Oh, yeah. I mean, they have a Jaws ride at Universal. I went on it once. Oh, and it's it was terrifying. I did not like oh. it. I think I it's was... shut down. I think it's only in oh, yeah, Universal they don't... Japan now. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't oh. think they have it anymore. But I w- remember That's going sad. on it as a kid and having, I just have like this memory of being scared as hell. Um, oh, is yeah, it? me too. Can you describe the ride? You're like um, on was, the boat. Was... Yeah. It's, so is we, there like a tour guide that's like, yes, oh no, what's so, happening? Okay, I hate those rides because the tour guide like is this random person who is not an actor is being forced to act like, oh no, guys, I think <laughs> there's some issues with the boat. Oh, oh no. do you see a, a, a creature approaching Are you Dora? in the lake? Are you Dora right now? Do you see <laughs> Jaws? Well, because <laughs> I was listening to a podcast talking about the Universal ride and they said that it shut down and now it's only in Japan. So yeah. I looked up, you know how they have those like POV amusement park yeah. rides? Yeah. So I watched the one in Japan and I was like, this is lame. I mean, like, maybe it's fine, but it's just, I hate those fake. I didn't I didn't like the ride, but the only reason I, I liked it in a way was because they it wasn't just the ride they built like a little part of the park to be like amity island and it oh that's, that's like fun. that's like very cape cod so when we went down there i was like oh my gosh we're on the cape <laughs> <laughs> just ignore me i was little but yes i can confirm the mayor is in jaws too and according to my letterbox review i called it a major step back from the original jaws 2 got off to a promising start seemingly setting up everything that i loved about the original but by the end, it turned out being downright cheesy. Honestly, I was rooting for the shark. <laughs> in in Jaws 2, do you see the shark way more than you do in the original Jaws? Because, you know. I think so. Yeah, it's, they, like they, o- it's like over the top, like how sort of insane that the shark is because they didn't they didn't have a malfunctioning bruce that's why maybe that's why you just can't make jaws anymore these days because like you can't do the hide the shark thing because people are going to be bored but you can't show the shark because people are going to think it's cheesy like you can't really win yeah does the mayor die in the second one i hope so i do not know (laughs) sorry kate don't be murdering mayors no but he he's the The mob murder he's the reason why i don't know what the kid's name is He's, I'm just going to call him Little Billy. He's the reason why Little Billy <laughs> died on his raft because he didn't close the beaches when Brody wanted to. It's all that Mary's fault. And then the bomb slaps Brody. If I was Brody, I would have been like, bitch, I wanted to close them. I would have. It's such a good scene, mm-hmm. though. It's such a good scene, though, when the mayor, when the mayor says, tells Brody that she was wrong. And he's just like, no, she's not. Because he didn't. He didn't do his job as I mean I he was in a difficult position, but he didn't he also didn't prevent it you know. I would have pointed at the mayor and I would have been like, "Lady, this guy." <laughs> and then and then maybe she would have gone like on a revenge ploy like maybe she would have fed the mayor to the shark. Well, y'all are talking about the scene where the woman is like, "My son is not alive, and I just want you to know." Yeah, that. and she's like wearing the morning clothes, which I like don't ever see people wearing like morning clothes. And is that a thing still? Where they like not just I haven't not met just... that many people who have lost their sons to shark attacks. Well, like, so. Oh no no no. Okay, but I mean like <laughs> you wear black at a funeral, but ha- like I thought that like wearing black for like a month straight when someone died, I thought that was like 
like the medieval. I didn't know. <laughs> no, 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 because no, stop. I mean, I mean it as like royal royals used to do that. Like grieving royals in like the 1600s used to do that. I'm pretty sure Elizabeth does that in The Crown when her dad dies. Um, I read a play in AP Spanish literature my senior year of high school called La Casa de Bernarda Alba, in which they also, oh, it came out in 1945, and they also are grieving and wearing black for like seven years or something like that. So not only medieval. Yeah. I was I was just surprised to see that. I'm like, oh, it's like the 70s. That wasn't that long ago. I just feel like that scene... Like, yes, it's sad and emotional, but it's also no subtext, like, literally just text. My son isn't alive and it's your fault. You know? Like, it felt a little heavy-handed. Yikes. Yeah. My boy is dead. I wanted you to know that. Okay, so we've already discussed a couple of different fan theories already, whether it was Quint being the real killer of the fisherman or... Bruce being set up by the mob. <laughs> um, that one's my personal favorite. And then, you know, there's other f- theories about uh, the shark itself, whether it's actually a great white or is it a baby megalodon and, you know, right, all of these different things. But one interesting fan theory, and this sort of plays into our multiverse segment, is that Jaws, Bruce, in the film Jaws, is the father of Bruce the shark in Finding Nemo. Ooh, I love this theory. And so this comes from uh, Redditor Cinesol, who, and I'm just reading from an article here, who explains that Bruce in Finding Nemo has a support group of sharks where their entire mantra goes against being mindless killing machines. Maybe because his mother told him about how monstrous his father was? Even by great white standards, we don't know why Bruce formed a support group like this. It could be that he's just trying to avoid turning out like his dad. Um, And clearly naming the shark Bruce and Finding Nemo is an ode Mm -hmm. to Jaws. That much is obvious. Um, I think we, yeah. What what are we doing with Lightyear? We need a Finding (laughs) Nemo prequel about Bruce. Can I? I... And so, you know, do they exist in the same universe, Finding Nemo and Jaws? Absolutely. Can I be a downer and try to poke holes in this theory? What are your holes? Uh, isn't aren't they like near Australia when they run into Bruce? Sharks can migrate great distances, Kate. They're also going to Australia. Massachusetts to Australia? Now that's now far. we need to Google how far do sharks migrate. I didn't learn that in my marine biology podcast. <laughs> <laughs> also, if I was a shark, and. Like, my mom told me, like, yeah, you know what happened to your dad? Some dude put an oxen tank in his mouth and blew him up. I think I would have a personal vendetta against humans, and I would be a killing machine. Um, They did do that uh, air tank explosion thing on Mythbusters and concluded that that would not have actually... They would have needed, like, C4 for it to explode, but the the shark probably would have just, like, (laughs) been, like airborne maybe for a little bit but there wouldn't have been an explosion thanks mythbusters for checking that one out wouldn't that be so funny wouldn't that be so funny if he was like shooting 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 at the tank and then he finally hits it and the the shark just goes up like two feet out of the water he'd be like oh shit it escalates very finely with like the boat sinking and like really you're really at an all is lost moment at the end of that sequence they do it well 
Do you know how long sharks can migrate, Mike? <laughs> Am I right? So they they do they do travel thousands of miles. Massachusetts to Sydney, Australia might be <laughs> a bit of a hike. But but again, it's not wife. they're it's going not to P. Sherman forty two all by Sydney. That's the final Yeah, but Nemo and Dory so, are Yeah, but the but how far is Nemo traveling? They're not in Massachusetts. They're, they're not just off the Cape when they go, Oh no. Oh no, my my son is now in Australia. Like who would who would who would go who would kidnap who would kidnap a, a fish, a clownfish? And, and, and go, you know where I'm going to ship this to? A dentist in Australia. That doesn't make sense. They're definitely in like... Wait, okay, you know the Darla backstory, the dentist's niece who's getting the pet fish. Maybe he's been after a clownfish for so long and the scuba diver knows him. Also in Finding Nemo, they literally say like, I swam across the ocean to find you. So from where? I don't know. But Maybe Massachusetts. Fish. They don't understand distance. I also don't understand distance and I'm a human. You know what? You know what? I think, I think those fish are like we traveled hundreds of thousands of miles to get you nemo and then they actually traveled like 10 miles <laughs> did y'all know that production for this movie was such an issue that the crew had actually nicknamed jaws flaws <laughs> i'm not kidding that's actually what happened I, and steven spielberg was so nervous because he thought his crew hated him that they were gonna throw him in the ocean after the final shot was filmed so he literally like set up the shot and then left. He wasn't there for the final shot of filming because he was so apparent about being pranked by his crew. Well, I just noticed that Spielberg seems to like to make his actors just go through horrible ordeals in water. Like you have Jaws where like that poor girl was getting like dragged around the water. And then you have Titanic where he, I think he basically like waterboarded his actors in that film. Are you mixing up Steven Spielberg and James Cameron? I am. Let's cut this <laughs> out. <laughs> You know, Steven Spielberg really uh, made them suffer on the beaches of Normandy in Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> I, I think that I've, I thought I had seen three Spielberg movies, but now I think it's only two. Oh, my God. You've only seen two? E.T. and Jaws. E.T. is so good. E.T. and Jaws now. I guessed correctly. I actually have not seen E.T. and they're re-releasing it on August 12th in IMAX. I can't fucking wait. Me and Kristen will be there. Don't worry. I want to talk about the release because, you know, this movie is known as like the original summer blockbuster. I think it's really interesting because at the time, it's kind of a same release strategy that we see now, but it was very popular at the time to not release things wide, um, usually just like releasing it in a couple select cities and then let, you know, word of mouth audience uh, discussion grow and let, let the movie kind of take its own thing. But... Jaws was originally released. Its opening weekend was on 450 screens, uh, which is very wide for the time. They were originally actually going to do 900 screens, but the chairman of Universal decided to cut it in half because he said, quote, I want this picture to run all summer long. I don't want people in Palm Springs to see the picture in Palm Springs. I want them to have to get in their cars and drive to Hollywood to see it, which is, I think, a interesting strategy. And I honestly would love to just be like a fly on the wall in 1975 to actually see this movie erupt and have everyone freak out talking about how exciting it was. Yeah, because also back then, the theater going experience was just so different where it is all word of mouth, right? So it's not like today's age in social media where you see all of this stuff beforehand and you see like sneak peek clips and people tweeting about it and their theories it's like when that sort of thing happens nowadays it's honestly really fucking annoying 
for yeah, instance, you're like, like I just want to see it. <laughs> like Licorice Pizza getting a release in New York and L.A. a month before its wide release, and I went into the movie once it got to Syracuse, knowing every little detail that people had a problem with, and I went in knowing like, oh, there's this weird age gap I have to look out for now, and there's well, that's these the really... premise of the movie. I know, but it, like. <laughs> But it was all hashed out on my timeline in front of my eyes, right? And it's like knowing that there's going to be these terrible racist jokes in the film. And I'm just like waiting. sorry racism got spoiled for you. Okay. (laughs) But like you can't even watch the scene because you're just waiting for it to come is my point. I will say uh, Parasite being released slowly and growing theaters was like an expert strategy and it Mm -hmm. really because that I think maybe it's different being an international movie and really needing to build that word of mouth you can't see it yet when can I see it kind of uh, pressure that licorice pizza doesn't really But like with movies and like a film like Jaws in 1975 literally like the word of mouth has to travel right like if it happens in one city they have to hear about it in another whether you know it's by word of mouth or maybe print media or something like that i think i just find it much more interesting sort of how it could grow sort of slowly like that yeah peter bizkind who we quoted earlier in the podcast said that jaws diminished the importance of print reviews making it virtually impossible for a film to build slowly finding its audience by a dint of mere quality moreover jaws wet corporate appetites for big profits which is to say every studio wanted every film to be jaws and it's really interesting to look at every summer blockbuster movie that has come out after jaws because it is really all of these ip action you know, thrilling movie machines. On the note of (laughs) blockbuster-ing, Jaws was one of the biggest movies of all time until George Lucas's Star Wars came out. And a really sweet thing that's been happening every time a movie becomes the number one movie in the box offices, the director that uh, has been superseded writes a letter to the director that uh, now holds the new record. So when Star Wars beat Jaws, Steven Spielberg wrote a letter to George Lucas saying, last week Star Wars moved ahead of Jaws in your domestic film rentals. Your hyperspace performance package really did the trick. Congratulations to the cantina crowds and all of the forces of your imaginations that made Star Wars so worthy of the throne. Wear it well, your pal Steven Spielberg. And there's like a little illustration of R2-D2 fishing and he's fishing for Bruce. Um, And then there's again, after Titanic ended up beating Star Wars uh, in the box office, George Lucas created something for James Cameron with the same message of like the Titanic sinking and all of the characters in Star Wars on it. We'll tweet the photos because this is quite a visual uh, gag, but I think it's a really sweet thing. You might know the experience most recently as when Avengers Endgame beat Avatar and James Cam or the Avatar people put out like a photo in the Avatar language saying like, congratulations, I love you 3000 or something like that. Oh. It was very well- cute. <laughs> Also really interesting, like, Star Wars beating Jaws, but then um, George Lucas tossing it back to Spielberg with E.T. coming out and, and that mm-hmm. setting all of the records. And also just, like, the two of them having, like, a great working relationship and being, like, these two titans of cinema in the 70s and 80s. And, and you know, of, of course, even to today as well, but... Um, you know, the work that they sort of helped do together as well as Francis Ford Coppola in the mix. I think it's interesting to see like, 
directors supporting other directors and and really changing the course of cinema at that time. One of my favorite stories from the Jaws set is that George Lucas visited and put his like head in the animatronic Jaws and they thought it would be funny to close it on him but then couldn't get it back open. <laughs> <laughs> and then that cost them another hundred grand right there. <laughs> Um, how, how long, I don't know the answer to this, but how long did Jaws, like, stay in theaters when it initially came out? That is a great question. Cause I also you, don't know. Because <laughs> I remember, just because you're mentioning when Star Wars, like, passed Jaws, my, my mom is a crazy, crazy, crazy Star Wars fan. Both of you, I think, know mm-hmm. that. Um, and she said that when she saw Star Wars in the 70s, it was out for, like, longer than a year. She said she saw oh, it about, wow. she said she saw it like 40 times in theaters during its run she's a big fan Forty four zero. <laughs> yeah okay well while she... we're at it let's do a long-term bet when do y'all think top gun maverick will be out of theaters <laughs> that's a good question i would like it for to be tomorrow oh my I, gosh I, wait, wait i didn't actually Stop see it such a hater it's a great movie i just like to hate on tom cruise that's fair um <laughs> okay we should define it a little bit better let's say can we can we do yeah. la theaters is that okay like let's say when will top gun maverick stop showing at the amc burbank 16 which is like the big amc burbank theater sure i mean you would probably know better than us or okay sure. l- or how about let's define it this way let's define it as like when will top gun maverick no longer be within a 10 like a theater that i can i live in the heart of hollywood i have to travel more than 10 miles to go see it in theaters early august Early August, interesting. Yeah. I would say Labor Day weekend. Wow, really? I was going to go late August, but now I'm going to say middle of September. What? Is this movie that good? It's the best. Oh my God. We're not betting any money or anything. It's just for fun. If you, dear listener, want to play, tweet at us at Chaos and Set. When do you think Top Gun Maverick will no longer be playing at a theater within a 10 mile radius of the Arclight Hollywood? That way I don't need to give you my actual address. <laughs> Yeah, and if you if you want to bet money, just Venmo me, and if you win, I'll promise I'll send it back to you. <laughs> I'm succeeding in my goal of bringing up Top Gun Maverick on every single Chaos on the Set podcast. Can we not do this for my? It sanity? will happen. It will happen. I'm sorry, Kate. I'm not even going out of my way to do it. I'm telling you, it will happen organically on every single podcast. Cool. I'll make a conscious effort to bring up Paddington on every single <laughs> podcast. I already did it on this one, so just buckle oh, up. Hold on, hold on. It's been a while. I'll bring back my Office references uh, now that we're we're on the topic. I love. Uh, the company picnic episode where Michael and Holly are, are trying to come up with, you know, different ideas for their sketch. And, uh, they have their jaws idea. Dunder, 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 dunder. (laughs) Classic. Oh my God. Well, now that we've all done our worst bits, (laughs) should we wrap up the podcast? Alrighty then. Um, thank you all so much for listening to our podcast on Jaws. Next week we are going to be talking about season four of Stranger Things with full spoilers, so please catch up if you haven't yet. If you've yet to watch even the first episode of Stranger Things, I'm talking to you, Shreya. Um, start watching now. I'm kidding. Shreya's not going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> it's because she hasn't seen Jaws. <laughs> um, Mike, would you care to tell people where they can find you? Yes, of course. You can follow me on Letterboxd at mricardi and my twitter is out there somewhere you can follow me on twitter at kate underscore wyatt i have a letterbox but michael said i'm not allowed to share it or 
you know, you guessed it. He'll feed me to a shark. Hey. He'll feed you to Jaws. <laughs> Bruce. His name is Bruce. I call him Jaws. Mike calls him Jaws. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or at Twitter or Instagram at Micro Marate. Letterboxd at Truthy Marate. And then on our podcast is on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, all at Chaos on the Set. Dun. Thank you.